Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Little Tommy Hine had gotten too nimble for Grandma. She used to pretend to chase him around, but ever since his fourth birthday party, when he had ducked between her legs to get to the present table she was supposed to be guarding, she had stopped pretending. Tommy, now five, could outmaneuver and outrun her any time he wanted. That's what happens when one body is coming into its own while another is beginning to pay time's punitive taxes. Alice Hine had done what she could to stay in shape over the years, Pilates, yoga, even a short stint of CrossFit and a boxing camp. She was tough, but an external force, something entirely outside of her control, was wearing her down. Whenever Tommy's mom, Mackenzie, dropped him off to spend the day with her, Alice tried to structure play which wouldn't require too much effort from her. But the five-year-old boy didn't want to sit still and paint or play board games. He couldn't be expected to do puzzles at the kitchen table with her anymore. He wanted to run and jump and climb and tumble. Alice found the best compromise was to play hide-and-seek. Tommy had gotten quite good at the game, or at least the hiding part. He tended to get distracted when searching for Grandma in her convoluted 19th century home. Its two stories, plus the basement, provided ample hideaways for both grandchild and grandmother. But Alice learned she couldn't make the game too difficult for distractible Tommy. On an ordinary Thursday after lunch, Alice recommended they play hide-and-seek for a while before Mackenzie came to pick Tommy up after work. Tommy agreed, as long as he could hide first. He had thought of a new hiding spot that morning and wanted to try it out. One, two, three... Alice counted while she listened to Tommy's eager footsteps patter up the curved staircase in the entryway. She always tried to listen to what room Tommy went into. It cut down on how long she actually had to search so she could pretend to look for him while really handling small tasks throughout the house. On that Thursday afternoon, as she reached 20 in her count, she heard Tommy's footsteps stop somewhere in the vicinity of her bedroom. She continued counting loudly to 50, while sorting through the magazines on the coffee table, removing last month's issues from the stack. Fifty! Ready or not, here I come, she shouted up at the ceiling. She thumped some throw pillows against the couch and knocked a couple of chairs against the kitchen table, then headed upstairs. Alice knew which doors would creak and squeal, and she went to these, opening them slowly for dramatic effect. She went to her bedroom last and opened the door slowly. It spooked her how still and empty the room appeared. She questioned for a moment whether she had heard Tommy's footsteps correctly. With a wrinkled brow, she began to search. Tommy had hidden in Grandma's closet before, many times, but never in this particular spot. He had noticed early that morning that Grandma had a shelf in her closet, one certainly wide enough for a five-year-old boy to lay on. She had a few things on the shelf. Boxed shoes, a handful of perfume bottles, a few folded sweaters but Tommy was able to slide all of these items forward and lay behind them. After he positioned himself where he was both comfortable and totally out of sight, 
he found something else he hadn't seen until he lay down. An old, heavy, deeply weathered key. It had a looping, decorative tail that he could fit his fingers through. Time had worn away its shine, but he could tell it had once been gold. The key was actually made of brass, but little Tommy, although good with colors, was no expert in metallurgy. Tommy slipped the gold key into his pocket to play with later. He had no idea what it might open, but he knew it would be something worth exploring. The closet door opened, and Tommy watched the top of Alice's head scan the hanging clothes beneath him and stoop into each dark corner of the closet. He thought he had never seen the top of Grandma's head before. She was missing a lot of hair in the back. He could see much of her scalp beneath her thin net of gray roots. Alice backed out of the closet, and Tommy realized she would never find him on her own. Before the door clicked shut, he called out, Grandma, I'm up here. Her feet shuffled backwards as Alice caught herself. She clutched her chest in feigned distress and said, Kid, you nearly gave me a heart attack. That's what everybody says, Tommy complained as he slid down between boxes of heels Alice hadn't so much as glanced at since her husband David had passed on. Anytime she had gone somewhere worthy of heels, David had been at her side. Well, then you might want to be careful. If everyone's telling you that, you might just give someone a real heart attack someday, Alice chided. She wouldn't admit it to herself, but her heart did feel a little weak. Can we keep playing? Tommy asked with both his words and his shining blue eyes. Okay, but no more scares for Grandma. Promise? Promise! The two continued the game, trading back and forth between hiding and seeking. Tommy chose a few of his regular spots to give Alice a break and avoid any heart attacks, but he quickly grew bored of the game and asked if they could do something else. I'll tell you what, Alice said. I'm feeling hungry and I bet you are too. That lunch wasn't as filling as I thought. How about I pop some popcorn and we watch the birds out on the back deck? Oh yeah, sure. Tommy leapt with childish joy. He loved sitting out on Grandma's big deck and watching her battalion of bird feeder sentries. You never knew what would fly down for a snack, and the popcorn would be a delicious bonus. Alice enjoyed making popcorn her own way. She always popped plain kernels on the stove, then applied all the fixings in her own quantities and ratios. While she gave her focus to the snack, Tommy decided to explore with his new key. He had been checking around as he hid throughout the house, and he didn't think the key went to anything on either of the upper floors. He didn't like to go to the basement very much, but it nagged at him. It was almost pulling at the key, as if an invisible thread had been tied to it, and something downstairs was gently tugging at it. Tommy followed the draw down the old narrow steps that led to the dank, stony cellar. He didn't think his grandma liked going into the basement much either. She barely kept anything down there. Even though the basement had ample room for appliances, she did all of her laundry in what might have otherwise been a mudroom. It was a cramped and awkward space for the big washer and dryer, a few large tubs of decorations and memorabilia, and some old coats which hung on hangers along one of the exposed pipes in the ceiling were all Alice kept in the basement now. There were two doors down there. The first was never shut because moisture had caused the frame to swell until the door could no longer close. The space beyond this ever-open door was only the size of a small closet and housed the sump pump. The other door waited beneath the stairs. Tommy had never seen this one opened, something he only realized now as he explored. His grandma had never made any reference to the room downstairs at all. It was to this mystery door that Tommy went as the machine gun sound of popping kernels faded above him.
a mossy greenness had begun to crust around the edges of the frame. The door was covered in poorly applied black paint. Dried drips spotted its surface in suspended animation. It smelled different than paint, though. It had a chemical sweetness that seemed oddly familiar to Tommy. He and his mother had been caught up in a construction zone one time, where lots of people in bright orange shirts were fixing a road. The door smelled like that. Below a thick layer of the paint stuff, a fat knob protruded. Tommy saw the imprinted image of a keyhole just the right size for the key he had in his pocket. His heart fluttered into his throat with joyous anticipation as he poked at the paint with his finger. It felt rubbery and tore apart under pressure. Tommy slipped the old key into the wizened lock. The solid thunk of the lock seemed to echo across time when the young boy turned it over. The door popped out as if bursting with some immense pressure from inside, tearing at the thick substance that had been painted over it. It only moved a few millimeters, but it was enough to send Tommy running into the corner. For the first time, he wondered if his grandma had had a good reason to keep the black door in the basement locked. When the door stayed perfectly still for over a minute, little Tommy crept back to it. He could hear his grandma humming upstairs as she finished making their popcorn. If he wanted to know what was behind the door, he needed to be quick. Something inside him, perhaps the nagging instinct which had drawn him into the basement, told him Alice would not approve of nor allow exploration of whatever was behind the black door. So without any further thought, Tommy turned the knob. Beneath the layer of oozing black, which sloughed off when the boy twisted, the knob was ice cold. Alice was sprinkling the last pinch of salt on her fresh popcorn when she felt a light breeze around her ankles. She paused to listen for the air conditioner, but found its lulling hum totally absent. The house was entirely still, yet she had surely felt a breeze. She went to the living room to see if perhaps Tommy had opened a window. Tommy? She called as she entered the living room. It was perfectly still and quiet, save for the hollow ticking of the tall grandfather clock in the corner with its swinging brass pendulum. Tommy had entered the room behind the black door. It was much bigger than the sump pump closet, but smaller than a bedroom. It smelled rank like bad breath and rotting potatoes. There was a light switch just inside, but it did nothing when he flipped it. Enough light spilled in through the door to illuminate an old school desk in the center of the room. A rectangular object sat atop the desk, drenched in shadows. Tommy approached this item with intrigue. As his eyes grew used to the dark, he saw two small hinges on either side of the rectangle. A thin line split it up the middle. It was a box. Tommy had seen similar boxes upstairs in his mom's old bedroom. Those boxes displayed dolls. They opened up so you could hang the doll's clothes on the doors. His mom had three of them throughout her room. This box looked bigger and more worn than any of those, though. And it smelled. In sharp contrast to the rank air around it, the box smelled like rich herbs and spices. It smells like church, Tommy thought, thinking of the Catholic services his grandma occasionally dragged him to when his mom needed a Saturday night off. He carefully opened one of the doors, only intending to peek inside at whatever secret his grandma kept in that mysterious room. As the door swung outward, a sound like falling sand broke the silence. Tommy paused. He noticed a ring of something white and fine encircling the box. Salt? 
The door had wedged a big gap in the ring of salt when he opened it. He made a note to try repairing it before he snuck upstairs again. He was more careful opening the second door, not wanting to make a bigger mess. Alice turned away from the living room, shrugging off the sensation of the breeze. She started humming again, using the ticking clock as a metronome. The house was quiet enough for her to still hear the ticking in the kitchen. She was well enough used to the old clock that most of the time she just tuned it out. She gathered a couple of bowls from the sink and rubbed them down with a dry towel to avoid getting any tiny droplets on the popcorn. Putting a wet piece of popcorn in your mouth can spoil the entire snack. As she dried, she hummed, but she started rushing that melody, getting ahead of the clock. She restarted the tune, thinking she had simply missed a beat, but then she got off again. It wasn't her imagination. Her metronome was slowing. But the big grandfather clock had never gotten off before. Not once in the decades since she was a young girl living in the house with her parents. Alice stopped humming and started counting off the beats between each tick. One and two and three and four and... Without a doubt, the clock was slowing down. She returned to the living room threshold and stared at the clock. The pendulum's movements had become unnatural behind its glass door. Its lagging swings defied gravity. With one last tick, more of a thunk really, the pendulum stopped mid-swing, and there it stayed. Alice felt the breeze again. Again, she called for Tommy. The box in the mystery room also contained a doll, but one far different from the prim and proper little girls in the bedroom upstairs. This one was crude, seemingly made from some kind of plant material, stems twisted together and tied with curly vines, and was no bigger than a hamster. It had no face. Tommy heard Alice call for him upstairs. He looked back through the doorway. His grandma's voice carried nervous tension, and the boy detected this tone with a certain apprehension of his own. He didn't need to be told he should not have opened the black door or the musty box within. A puny crackling near his feet made Tommy look back at the box, then down. The little homemade doll had fallen at his feet. He hadn't touched it. Alice rushed from room to room, moving quickly now like a mouse trying to stay out of view from a crafty predator. Her vision darkened as she searched. Or perhaps it was not her eyes, but the very wood and plaster that were growing darker deepening in contrast with the angelic daylight which still poured through the windows. Despite this steady and powerful light, Alice assumed she would lose her race against the creeping blackness. She knew where Tommy was. Only her foolish, ignorant hope that the box had been opened by something else kept her from running straight down into the basement, straight into the heart of the evil. But now she stood atop the stairs, looking down. Heart of evil or not, Her grandson was down there, and he had no idea what he had just unleashed. Tommy, if you can hear me, you leave that box alone and come upstairs. You come up right now. I'm sorry, Grandma. A small voice came from under the stairs. I'm sorry, I didn't know. Tommy appeared at the base of the stairs, looking sick and scared. Good. If there was ever a time to be scared, this was it. Alice tried her best to offer him a warm yet serious smile. One that said, The only trouble you're in is the trouble you've caused, child. Tommy responded by charging up the stairs toward safety. Before the boy made it halfway, 
Alice could tell something was wrong. He was taking too many steps. His little legs moved like pistons, yet for every three of his steps, he ascended only one stair. This continued until he finally reached the halfway mark, but there, he began to regress. This is what it does, Alice said aloud, but to herself. Tommy, you need to run up these stairs. Give it all you got. Run, boy. And Tommy ran. The stairs, sheathed in shadows, continued to reproduce beneath his feet, but he gained enough ground to stretch his hand up to Alice's. She grabbed his wrist and pulled the boy into an embrace. He clung to her, out of breath, and together they gazed into the basement. Darkness swelled from beneath the stairs, consuming all below. With a frightened huff, Alice slammed the basement door shut before the shadows could reach it. She led Tommy into the kitchen, where the light from the window above the sink put a hazy spotlight on the fridge. Everything else had gone dark and gray. How it would look if a thunderstorm were looming above the house. Alice picked up the landline on the counter and hoped the entity from the box couldn't manipulate it. She placed a call to St. Peter's, then dialed the extension for Father Michael. Hello? Father Michael picked up on the first ring. Alice whimpered, Rosemary. Lemon chives, the priest responded. He and Alice had an agreement that they would always mention these herbs during their conversation in case the entity which dwelled in her basement tried to trick one or the other. Father Michael suspected it may be able to copy voices. They usually mentioned the herbs more naturally, so Alice's abrupt use of the code immediately raised his hackles. Father, it's happened. The box is open. He asked, Are you alone? Can you get out? No, I'm with my grandson, and we haven't tried yet, but... I'll come right over. But Alice, remember what I told you. You need to try to leave. I know. Just... Please come. Tommy heard a stifled sob beneath his grandma's steady voice. I'll hurry. Father Michael hung up. St. Peter's was just up the road. Alice usually walked there for Saturday night mass. If Father Michael drove, he could easily be at the house in under five minutes. But that was still plenty of time for all sorts of horrible things to happen. Tommy, listen to me, Alice said, stooping to eye level with the boy. Grandma, I'm scared. I know. It's good to be scared. It makes you alert, and you need all your senses right now, okay? We need to find a way out. Can't we just go out the door? Tommy pointed at the kitchen door, which led out to the backyard. Alice gave it a longing glance. We can try, she said, but I don't think it'll work. This thing, the thing that was inside the box, it has a lot of power, Tommy. An awful lot of power. Why did you keep it down there? Tommy asked. Alice ignored him. She undid the sliding chain lock at the top of the door, then turned the bolt over. Get close to me, Tommy. We'll have to be quick. Tommy sidled up to his grandma, and she gripped the doorknob. The floor rumbled beneath their feet. The house shook enough to knock the landline off its station onto the floor. The batteries popped out of the back and rolled away. The air grew noticeably darker. Alice released the doorknob, and the rumbling ceased. The house went still, but remained dark. Alice mumbled, We've angered it. Grandma, Tommy whispered, Who did you call? A priest. A priest who's familiar with what I had in the basement. He's been coming here once a month to bless the house ever since... Ever since your granddad passed on. 
Well, if we can't open the doors, how is he going to get in? Tommy asked. Alice didn't answer. She had no answer to give. In truth, the monthly blessings had only been a customary precaution. Father Michael had been perfectly honest about how much of an effect he thought he could have on the cursed box. He told Alice the thing in the box operated under a different set of rules. It wasn't governed by the laws of Christianity. It recognized no god above itself. You might think of it as a demon, Father Michael had said. It's similar, maybe even related, but its origins are not in hell. I call it a spirit or entity only because we have no better word in our language. This made no sense to Alice, and Father Michael made no attempt to explain further. He only told Alice that she needed to keep the box closed and contained at all times. He feared the power of the church would not be enough to contain the entity within should it escape. And now that it had, Alice was terrified Father Michael might be right. She kept crucifixes on the walls in every room, but not one of them had been touched. The being in her home didn't care enough about them to disrespect them. Alice and Tommy were searching for the phone batteries when Father Michael knocked on the front door. Alice grabbed Tommy by the arm and nearly dragged him into the entryway. She positioned him right where the door would swing open. If this actually opens, I want you to run straight out. Understand? Straight out. Tommy nodded. He readied himself to run. Alice turned the knob and choked back a relieved sob when the latch clicked. She pulled, and the door opened. Tommy shoved himself through. Father Michael caught Tommy's arm, reacting instantly. He pulled the boy out, but something much stronger pulled him back inside. Father Michael, unable or unwilling to let go of the child, was yanked inside with him. He hit his forehead on the door and just barely pulled his feet inside in time to keep them. Alice screamed, no, as the front door slammed shut with another miniature earthquake. Tommy cried hysterically into the floor, holding his shoulder. Father Michael explored the dark house with his eyes, which widened with each passing second. Before Tommy stood, the priest ushered the boy close and examined his t-shirt. Something had torn the shirt at the neck, and a red mark formed where the fabric had rubbed Tommy's skin raw. It's growing physical, Father Michael told Alice. We have to act now before it gets out of control. Tommy said, I opened the box downstairs. I know I shouldn't have. Can we close it? Yes and no, the priest replied. To Alice, he said, we need to contain it again. It will fill the space available to it, whether that's a box, a room, or a house. It has full dominion over your home right now. It's just gathering its strength. Being cooped up for years must have drained it. You learned all of this from the church library? Alice asked. Among other sources, Father Michael said. Like I've said, the power of the church won't hold this thing. It's an ancient from a dimension outside of ours. Someone, likely someone long ago, created a portal for it. It doesn't belong here. It's like a caged tiger that just escaped into an urban city. Alice had brought Father Michael into the small room behind the black door to show him the box after her husband David's death. She didn't know anything about the box, only that David had been obsessed with keeping it safe since bringing it home from Vietnam. He had closed off the room under the stairs and covered the door in tar. Alice had protested this, as, the as that room had once been useful storage space. 
After David's death, she had broken the tar seal and gone into the room to examine the box her husband had so closely coveted. That's when the leaking started. Leakage from the room, out into the house, and from Alice, into the box. She had felt the box's power up close, its omnipotent energy. But even after she had shut the black door again, crudely sealing the tar with a blowtorch, she felt lingering tendrils of influence from whatever the box contained. Over time, she lost weight and strength. Her hair started falling out. She lost much of the energy she had once had to do the things she loved. Alice contacted Father Michael, her trusted priest, to come bless the house and the room after her first encounter with it. She hoped that maybe the blessing would cut off whatever connection the thing had made to her, but no blessing or prayer, no holy water or incense, had any effect on the power of the box. Knowing the box had come from Asia's South Pacific region, Father Michael started researching ancient lore from that area. He explored regional cultural traditions, searching them for iconography and symbolism that might provide breadcrumbs to the box's origins. It was tricky work, requiring much translation with the help of Google and Reddit. Father Michael could have utilized the church's resources, but he knew his research would be shut down immediately if he were caught looking into the sorts of black magic he suspected to be involved in the box's creation. Such matters tended to be escalated to higher levels of clerical authority. Father Michael suspected that only meant they were shelved to keep curious eyes and minds from exploring too deeply into the universe's infinite secrets. The stairs creaked, all of them at once. A wreath hanging on the wall above them fell and rolled down, landing at Father Michael's feet. He ignored it. The tall grandfather clock, just a few feet away, chimed loud enough to rattle the windows. Then the pendulum dropped with a great thud. It tipped forward, shattering the glass, and clattered to the floor. There should have been an item inside the box, the priest said, now speaking directly to Tommy. He seemed to be commanding the boy's attention on purpose. That item needs to be put back in place. It's the conduit or the key to the portal the entity is using to cross into our world. There was a little doll thingy inside, Tommy said. Where is it now? It fell on the floor after I opened the box, Tommy said. I think it's still there. Father Michael looked doubtful. It was an effigy, likely constructed to resemble whatever person someone intended this spirit to harm. This thing is definitely strong enough to move a doll by now. I doubt it'll be that easy to find. But we have to check, don't we? Asked Alice. Yes, yes we do. As Alice led the way to the basement door, Father Michael pulled off his clerical collar. He removed the crucifix from his neck. Why are you taking off your church stuff? Tommy asked fearfully. Hearing this, Alice gave the priest an inquisitive, over-the-shoulder glance. Well, child, this entity can't be commanded with the power vested in me, but it may be upset by it. It might see my position as a challenge to it. I don't want to cause it to behave any more harshly than it already is. Oh, father, Alice said. What can the three of us do against something even God can't control? Father Michael put an arm around Alice. He gave her a brief squeeze but answered no further. A priest, a grandma, and a child sounded like the start of a bad joke and to the malevolent infestation assailing them, they probably were no more than a joke. Still, they had no choice but to fight back or be consumed. Alice 
opened to the basement door. There were no stairs, only shadows. The darkness had thickened enough to block the daylight from the egress windows downstairs. Tommy gasped and Michael grimaced. The space before them looked like a black pool of opaque vapor. The priest reached into his pocket and retrieved a nickel. Ushering the grandmother and child behind him, he gently tossed the nickel into the empty space where the stairs should have been. The nickel clinked off of wood, bounced, then struck wood again with a flat smack. The stairs are there, the priest announced. We just can't see them. We probably won't be able to see anything. Father Michael suspended one foot into the empty space, then stepped down. His shoe thunked solidly and evoked a groan from the old staircase beneath him. He took a second step. To Alice and Tommy, it appeared the priest was hovering in midair, floating in the vapor. Alice took Tommy's hand and tried to make him follow her down, but the boy wouldn't budge. There's something... something bad down there, he whimpered. Alice said, I know, but I can't leave you here alone, and I can't let Father Michael fight this on his own. She scooped the child up in her arms and stepped out into the air. Father Michael vanished in front of them. The unnatural darkness wouldn't allow any of them to see more than a foot in front of their noses. Alice, I don't know my way around well enough, Father Michael said up ahead as Alice completed the final step. You'll have to lead the way. It's just under the stairs, Alice said. She set Tommy down and took his hand. Then she fished through the air until she found Michael's arm. She took his wrist and started creeping through the basement, the blind leading the blind. There was no adjusting to the black darkness of the basement. Not one ray of light could reach their eyes. Alice operated entirely on muscle memory, praying that nothing had been moved to obstruct their path, praying even more that nothing was waiting for them in the impressive shadows. She couldn't tell if the weight causing her to drag her feet was something physical or mental. Was it the effects of fear, or did the air really have that much weight? Suddenly, Father Michael's mouth was right beside her ear. He whispered, Are we close? I think so, she whispered back. He said, Hurry, I think it's behind us. He could feel the air condensing behind him. All the sinister energy in the basement was converging in a single point. The rush of energy caused an ice-cold breeze that raised goose flesh on Michael's neck. Alice, we need to run, he shouted. Everything in Alice's mind shut down except for the primal, driving instinct to survive. Her muscles took over, dragging the priest and her grandson forward, toward where she knew the black door should be. Her muscle memory served her well, for a second later her blind foot kicked wood and a hollow thunk reverberated through the air. The open door swung away from her. To find it, Alice had to release either Tommy or the priest. She gave Father Michael's hand a squeeze, forewarning him, then let go. Who's touching me? Tommy asked breathlessly. Don't worry, it's just me, Michael said. He had put the hand Alice released on Tommy's shoulder. Tommy knew this. He said, No, who's touching my hair? Tommy's shrill scream pierced the darkness as his hand nearly slipped from Alice's. Only Father Michael's clutching arms kept Tommy from being yanked away by the hair to some horrific fate. As Michael struggled to keep the boy close, he felt both of Alice's hands wrap around Tommy as well. No, Alice, the door! Find the door! Michael screamed. 
He felt such a rush of terror and unreasonable anger that he nearly lashed out at the grandmother with a kick to send her back to her task. Oh, the power the spirit had over them. It was growing. Michael felt that convergence again, this time swarming around young Tommy. Alice felt through the air, now completely disoriented. She spread out her arms like a bird, twisting this way and that until at last her wrist struck the gummy edge of the tarred door. It was still open. She could hear the struggling priest and terrified child behind her. She hoped they could hear her too. It's open. Follow my voice. Father Michael tried to follow her, but he couldn't get Tommy away. He could hear the boy's hair breaking and tearing. His eyes welled with tears of sympathetic pain. He slid one of his arms up Tommy's back, his neck, until his own hand found Tommy's hair. He ran his fingers across the boy's head until he found something so cold it burned. Tendrils of ice were twisted into Tommy's locks. Michael forced his fingers under them, fighting the frigid pain. He wedged his hand under the thing's grip, then used his wrist as a lever until he could finally pull Tommy free. He stumbled, still holding the boy close, in the direction of Alice's calling voice. Alice waited until she felt Father Michael and Tommy brush past her to slam the door shut and lock it. Tommy had devolved into inconsolable hysterics. He wasn't even crying, so much as gasping wetly for air he didn't seem able to hold. Father Michael could feel his small chest spasming against his own. He feared if the boy couldn't calm down quickly, he might go into shock or even cardiac arrest. Tommy, Tommy, can you hear me? Where's the doll? We need to find the effigy. Michael said, hoping to redirect the child's attention. I want mom, Tommy cried. Your mom will be here soon, Tommy. We have to get rid of this thing before she comes, Alice said. She had only said this for Tommy's benefit, but it was true. She wasn't sure of the time, but she did think Mackenzie would likely come to the house soon. And then what? Had this darkness spread upstairs yet? Would it pull her daughter in too? Alice, stay with Tommy. I'll look for the effigy, Michael said. I doubt there's anything stopping that thing from just materializing in here with us. It's playing with us, stirring up energy it can sap from us. As if hearing him, the fist that had grabbed Tommy's hair pounded the door. Alice took Michael's place by Tommy's side. The door boomed again. This time, the wood popped in protest. Tommy, where did the doll fall? Michael asked desperately. He was on all fours, feeling around but unsure of exactly what he was searching for or where. It's... Tommy was cut off by the metallic clunk of the lock sliding back. No! Alice screamed. She abandoned her grandson to hold the door. She felt blindly until she found the knob, then the latch below it, and twisted the little lever back into place. Even with her hand holding the lock, the powerful thing on the other side forced it open again. Tommy felt sick when he realized he had left the key in the lock when he had first opened the door. No! Alice grunted, straining against the thing's strength to close the lock again. Tommy, terrified but also feeling guilty and determined, joined Father Michael in searching for the effigy. He located the old desk. The little doll should have been right where he was crawling, but it wasn't. He felt under the desk but still found nothing. The lock slid, and Alice fought to turn it back. The metal grew cold beneath her fingers. It numbed them, making her realize she would soon lose her valiant battle. Before admitting defeat, she forced the lock closed one last time. It's gonna get in, she panted. Alice wasn't sure if she'd spoken aloud, 
but Father Michael heard her and doubled his already valorous efforts. The doll. They needed the doll. It was the epicenter of the entity's power. It was the conduit between the other dimension and their own. A portal to a godless universe. Wait, Father Michael cried, dismayed at his own realization. It's not here, he said. The thing out there is confined to the largest available space. If the effigy was in here, it couldn't exist beyond that closed door. We... we have to let it in. How do you know? Alice asked. I... I don't. At least not for sure. But if everything I studied is correct... Don't let it in, Grandma, Tommy begged. He tried harder than ever to find the little doll in the dark. The lock slid open. Alice let it go. She retracted her frozen fingers and backed away, reaching behind herself to find Tommy. She wanted to clutch him tightly, possibly for the last time. The door burst open, but none of them could see what came in. Father Michael had steeled himself for this moment, knowing he had to go toward that which threatened them. It was something he could never ask the grandmother or child to do. He lunged toward the sound of the door slamming against the wall. He found himself in a tornado of piercing wind. It pushed and pulled at him simultaneously, stalling his momentum and freezing him in place. The entity was gaining power, pulling itself through the portal. It garnered energy from their world and sent it back to itself, preparing to come through in its full, terrible glory. Father Michael pushed one hand through the frigid winds. His bones ached with cold. He flexed his fingers open and shut to keep them warm as long as he could. He would need them. Alice found Tommy and drew him in tightly. The boy didn't recognize her and fought initially, but her defiantly soothing voice quickly found his ears and he surrendered to her embrace. Alice wondered what the horrible being would do to them. She could feel it drawing close. Father Michael's wrist bent involuntarily against the force of the wind. It was growing stronger, but he stood fast. He couldn't see, but he could feel the center of the vortex drawing near. Otherworldly sounds began filling his head. A vacuous howl reverberated around him. The swirling cloud of energy felt more powerful than any storm he had ever experienced. With gargantuan effort, Michael took one step forward, buying inches for his frozen hand. He felt it. He finally felt it. The brittle hardness of a small figure at his fingertips. The effigy. The portal. His aching fingers closed around the tiny doll, nearly crushing it with his numb joints. Michael screamed as he tugged at the effigy, bending the power which flowed freely into it and out of it, and disrupting the evil winds. His pull created a pocket of air which allowed him to breathe deeply. He pivoted on his heels and began towing the suspended effigy into the small room. Tommy levitated in Alice's arms. She struggled to keep him from being torn away. She shifted so her weight covered her grandchild and pushed him down to the floor. Ordinarily, she would have been worried about suffocating the boy, but the entity's powerful vortex made her feel light as a feather. Father Michael pulled the effigy to the center of the room until he bumped into the desk. He reached his free hand out to feel for the ancient box, the wood blessed by some magic of history long forgotten. The tips of his fingers finally found the primeval prison, and with agonizing effort, he forced the effigy inside it. He closed one door, then reached across himself for the other. With heart-stopping apprehension, 
He released the effigy only long enough to slam the second door shut. The box tipped over and fell flat on the desk. Father Michael threw his body over the two bulging doors, ensuring they would remain shut. Instantly, the howling winds died. All three of their heads stopped throbbing against the immense pressure the entity had forced upon them. The shadows lingered, but cleared like the smoke of a doused bonfire. Only Father Michael could feel its strength as the evil being pressed outward against the box, but whatever magic had been used to seal the box contained its power. The priest stood, clutching the large box to his chest, keeping the doors tight against his ribs. Without a word to Alice or Tommy, he ran up the stairs, which were now perfectly visible. Alice followed him, opening the front door for him to escape. Mackenzie had been on the patio, about to ring the doorbell, before the uncollared priest rushed past her. Now she gaped after him, confused and fearful. This was the most dangerous part. Once the box was outside the house, the entity, if released from the box, could go anywhere in the wide world. Father Michael ran straight to his car. Alice followed him, then passed him in a sprint. She too had realized the immense risk. She opened the car door, and Father Michael fell into the driver's seat. Alice ran around to the front of the vehicle and slid into the passenger seat beside him. Tommy found his mother on the porch and threw his arms around her. He sobbed, muttering inaudibly against her shoulder, while Mackenzie watched her mother take the box from the priest in the car, parked beside her own. With me, Father Michael, Alice rode out to a remote location. She had kept that cursed thing in her basement long enough, and now needed no convincing to be rid of it. She had selflessly volunteered to keep the box after her husband's death, after we uncovered its true origins. But after the danger it posed to her family, her grandchild, she could bear the burden no longer. We buried that box deep in the ground, somewhere neither of us believe anyone will find it. I still hike out to it occasionally, to make sure it remains undisturbed. The trees and plants around that area have all started to die. Many of them failed to grow any leaves after the first winter. But rest assured, the box remains undisturbed. Tommy seems to be recovering from the traumatic ordeal. He's been joining his grandmother at church more often. I believe praying to a higher power is helping him. He knows better than most the powers that lurk beyond human comprehension. In time, I will train him. I'll show him the place where nothing grows, the place where I, with his grandmother, planted the box that once stood behind the black door. As my body grows weak and my hair falls out, I will rely on him more and more to keep our world, our universe, our dimension, from being consumed. I pray that God saw the thing which we humans were blinded by. I pray that he studied its attack, its power. I pray that he is preparing his army of angels to keep guard over the world, should that dead ground break open one day. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. 
If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening.